Numbers chapter 11. As we continue our study in the book of Numbers, we are at the close of chapter 11, and at the close of chapter 11, there is an incident that is, it must be brought out, it must be discussed, it must be presented as it is presented here. As I have been reading through the book of Numbers, and uh, we're going to spend just a moment in chapter 33 after reading this, in chapter 33, there are multiple places where the children of Israel stop for a moment. We'll just leave it at that for a moment. But turn with me to Numbers chapter 11. I want to read verses 33, 34, and 35. The title of my message today is Trail of Tears. Trail of Tears. While the flesh, now God had granted the children of Israel meat in the form of quail. Most of the people were not happy with just manna. And so he gave them meat to eat. And in verse 33, we find out how they appreciated or didn't appreciate this gift that God had given them. It says, while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. Verse 34, And he called the name of that place Kibroth Hathava. And that word means graves of lust. Graves of lust. And then it says, Because they buried the people that lusted. And the people journeyed for Kibrahathavah unto Hezroth and abode at Hezroth. Now if you go to the next chapter, chapter 12 and verse 16, we have these words. And afterward the people removed from Hezroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. So this is a stopping place that the children of Israel had. Now we know from previous readings, from previous studies of the book of, of Numbers, that they moved when the spirit or the cloud moved, or when the fire moved, they moved, and when it stopped, they settled down. And this is going to be the way that they travel. Now, if you turn with me over to the book of Numbers chapter 33, I'm not going to read this entire chapter, but we notice in chapter 33 that there's a list of the places where the children of Israel were for 40 years. It begins in Ramses, in Egypt. That's where they started their travels from. And it goes through the, the, the land there. It uh, tells us in verse 3, they departed from Ramses in the first month of the 15th day, the first month of, on the morrow after the Passover. And their journeys began at that point. And if we go down to the end of that, and I think there's 46 or uh, 46 different places that are shared in this chapter where the children of Israel stopped for some period of time and then they moved on for the next period of time. It tells us there towards the end of that chapter, it says that uh, uh, verse 51 
or verse 50, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the plains of Moab by Jordan near Jericho, saying, So we're going to have 40 years here between the time that they left Egypt and the time that this group of people came up to the Jordan River. Now, they'd been there close before, and we won't be long here in the book of Numbers. We find that they were uh, they spied out the land. People came back with a report. Ten of them had an evil report. Two of them had a uh, positive report, and it, the heart of the people uh, was moved against going into the promised land. Now, it seems that most of the travels from Egypt to Canaan was a trail of tears. Not much of the travel seems to be pleasant. That is a way of lost sinners, lost ones. Now, when I grew up in Sunday school, I was taught that all of these people that went through the wilderness wanderings were saved people, but many times they were just backslidden. Well, the New Testament shares a lot of light on that, and so does the Old Testament about what kinds of people are traveling here as they go through this land. It's just like you and I traveling from the day we're born to the time we end. I was interested to notice that Augustus Toplady, who wrote one of my favorite hymns, Rock of Ages, was 38 years old when the Lord took him out of this world. But he had 38 years of travel. That's almost the amount of time that the children of Israel had from Egypt to, the, to Canaan land. We find that the scriptures share a lot of information about the hearts of these people as they were traveling. And we must come to the conclusion that the Bible comes to that most of these people were walking along in a physical life in unbelief. They did not know the gospel and they did not know the God that demonstrated so many things to them. You know, it doesn't take much for a person who knows the gospel to look at the lightning and say, what a mighty work of God. To the natural man, it's only a, a, a physical act of physics and all, electricity and all of that, but it's the hand of God that has moved there. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews for just a moment. The book of Hebrews does so much for our study of the book of Leviticus, Deuteronomy, Old Testament passages of Scripture that are, uh, have so much about the law and so much about the people of God in the Old Testament. Here in the book of Hebrews chapter 3, we read some verses of scripture that share with us a lot of information. And in fact, we're going to come to the conclusion that these people that did what they did and did not know God are just like people today that have never been born again. Do you know what the scriptures say there in John chapter 3? It says, if you're not born again, you cannot see. And if you're not born again, you cannot enter. Well, that just goes right back to the Old Testament here in the book of Numbers that we're going through, and we find out the real problem with these people. They're not in a backslidden condition. They've never been slid in to begin with. They don't know the gospel at all. They've seen God, and they've seen these activities, but there's nothing spiritual about that. Here in the book of Hebrews, we find the author of the book of Hebrews, the Holy Spirit, shared with someone to have this penned. I personally think it was the Apostle Paul, but there's much discussion on it. But Hebrews chapter 3, there beginning with verse 1, it says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling. Now there's a bunch of people over here that we're going to read about that have never had this heavenly calling. That heavenly calling is the new birth. And if you don't have the new birth, you cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Who is the kingdom of God? It's not a place, it's a person. The kingdom of God is Christ. The kingdom of God is all that is applied about Christ. Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. Take a look at him. Who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. Now, there's a wonderful statement here about Moses. Moses gets exasperated at times, but we have this testimony about him that he is a faithful uh, person of God. He's a faithful believer. He has been given faith to believe God. And it says in verse 4, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses. Oh, uh, 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 inasmuch as he who had builded the house, hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken of after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, whose house are we, if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of hope firm unto the end. Now, many people are going to be like these uh, Israelites they are traveling through that have a semblance of, they have a type of, they have some uh, uh, pictures of, but they don't have any substance at all. Why? Because God has not given them the new birth. It's no wonder they stumble around. It's no wonder they complain. It's no wonder that they did what they did with that flesh that God had given them. It's no wonder. There was only a few of them that saw that this was a true benefit from God, and the rest of them expected it from God and said, God is required to do that. We need this, and he's a, he needs to do this for us. Wherefore, verse 7, as the Holy Ghost saith today, if ye hear, will hear his voice, Harden not your hearts as in the day uh, in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. So he's going to take us right back here to the children of Israel in the book of Numbers, the children of Israel in the book of Leviticus, the children of Israel in the book of Exodus, and say, these people are a type, a shadow, and a picture. Let's take a look at them. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, they do all we err in their heart. We have God's testimony about these folks. We have some people here that have erred in their heart. Now, when did this erring begin? In the fall. As Mike brought out this morning in the Bible class, not one single Adam in this podium was not infected by the fall. Not one single atom in air or wherever it was is not affected by the fall. And what we find out and we thank God for is in this mess that we're in, in a erring in our heart that if God does not come and he is pleased to do it for those he has chosen before the foundation of the world, he is pleased to give them the new birth and to give them a view of God that is great and mighty and sovereign and powerful and holy and true. And we rest upon him just as it goes on here to tell us they did not enter into rest. 
Canaan was a picture of entering into rest, and they did not enter into rest. Why? Because of unbelief. It wasn't because they were not children of Abraham. It did, was not because they were not people there in the wilderness. It did not mean that they had not been uh, physically freed from uh, 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 slavery in Egypt. It meant they were not born again. They did not have the gospel in their heart. He's going to go on and share that with us. Take heed, brethren. Verse 12, be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we, have made, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. For some, when they had heard, did provoke, howbeit not all that came out of Egypt by Moses, but with whom was he grieved forty years, as it is not uh, with them that have them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believed not. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. A trail of tears for 40 years for most of these people. They're going to go from one place to another place, just like we do in our natural life. Going from one place to another place. Now, we might even not even move across town, but we're going to go from one place to another place in our mind about what we think is right. And then we find out in the end, as we stand, as people stand before God in that day and find out that all the good works that they ever performed does not count for one iota of peace with God. So, here in the book of Hebrews, and turn with me again to that book of Hebrews, this very next chapter, let us therefore fear, lest the promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of. He's dealing with people that are under the name of Israelites, under the name of Christians, and a whole bunch of them are bitter towards God, they are complainers towards God, they're not satisfied with Christ, they're not satisfied with the manna, they're not satisfied with the way God's taking care of them, and they're just interpreting to other people, we don't know anything about the God that you know about. I don't think there's been any harsher words ever said to me, but over this one subject, that salvation is of the Lord in totality, beginning to end. Nobody has any part of it except God move on us first. Chapter, verse 2 there in Hebrews 4 says, For unto us the gospel unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. Now we have this removed that they didn't even hear the gospel. Oh, yes, they did. They saw the gospel. They heard the gospel. But what was the difference? It was not mixed with faith. Now we have religions come along to see they need to have faith. Well, the Bible teaches us who gives that faith. Who's the one that supplies that faith? Where does that faith come from? It didn't come from our hearts that are uh, wicked and 
and sinful. It doesn't come from inside of us. It comes from the Lord and the Lord alone. He is the author and finisher of our faith. It tells us that there's a rest, yes, but that rest is in Christ. And when we are resting in Christ, we cease from our works as he ceased from his works. Now, these people are going to go through their 40 years, most of them, majority of them, lots of them, who knows the number, and they're going to witness a miracle. I figured up last night that they're going to witness from 150 to 300 deaths a day after they come to Kadesh Barnea because the Lord said all of you that are 20 years and old and older are going to die in the wilderness and these all died in unbelief. It was a sentence placed upon them. They were not going to enter into this land. There's only three that I know of that entered into the land. I have no problem with Aaron. Aaron was called a saint of God. I have no problem with Moses. He didn't enter in, but he is called a man after God's own heart, like David. He spoke to him face to face. He was a believer in Christ Jesus because God gave him the faith. Now, the rest of the folks I have some difficulty with, except for Joshua, Caleb, and Eliezer. They're the three that go through the Jordan River that were born in Egypt. The rest of them, 20 years and old and older, they're out there and they are born in the travels. They're born after Egypt. They're born and they're the ones that get to go in. And they get to go in because God said they get to go in, not because they said they need to go in. Now about the others. How about the others? How about Joshua and Caleb? How about Eliezer? How about the rest of them? You know, we find out that the only reason that those people could go in as a type and a shadow and picture of true salvation is God elected them before the foundation of the world. God had an interest in them before they were ever born. It tells us there in the book of Romans chapter 9, before they were born, before they could do any good or evil. What is that telling us? We have no involvement in this, except we're the recipients of grace. We are an empty vessel. We're an empty glass. And we cannot bring any moisture. We cannot bring any water. We cannot bring anything to fill it on our own. We are dependent upon someone else to come fill our glass. And that person is God Almighty through the ministry and work of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me again to the book of Hebrews here. Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 13. We have a long list of folks here. And it tells us about, this is what it says about them. There is a few according to the election of grace. There are a few according to God's purpose of grace. And here in chapter 11 and verse 13, all of those that were listed here, these all died in faith. Noah died in faith. These died in faith. God had given them faith. God had given them the new birth. God had given them 
all the spiritual being he had for them. He had given them Christ. He had given them the ability to look to God and see him as a spiritual being and not just a supplier of food. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them. What was the promise that had been made? The promise made to Adam and to Eve that there would be one come, born of a woman, who would take care of the problem. They didn't see that. They didn't see that promise fulfilled. It was not the appointed time. It was not the right moment. It was going to be years and years after that. We're going to go through centuries before the right time came when the Son of God was given, born of a virgin, laid in a manger there in Bethlehem. It's going to be centuries, but they looked for it. My friends, just as they look forward to the coming of Christ the first time, believers in Christ Jesus look forward to the coming of Christ the second time. We have the same faith that they did. He's coming. He said he's coming. He's promised to come. And now we look back ahead and say he said he's coming. He's promised to come. He will come at his appointed time. Nobody's going to find out by some soothsaying that this is the time. It's going to happen at his appointed time. God will come at his appointed time. Now, if it's today, we'll say hallelujah. If, it come, if he comes and waits a thousand years, we'll say hallelujah. Why? Because he is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. And he's talking about his sheep. If he came today and there were some lost sheep, he would have thwarted his business at the cross. He is going to wait until every one of his lost sheep are born, everyone he knows where they are, and he's going to send the gospel in some manner. It may be through Zoom, it may be through sermon audio, it may be audible from a pulpit, or they're going to be brought to a place, or someone's going to be sent to them. But they're going to hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit will work in them. What Jesus Christ shared with Nicodemus, you must be born again. And the only one that can give spiritual birth is God. We are unable to take care of our own physical birth. It was left up to someone else. And just think for a moment that we have the ability to take care of our spiritual birth. When our physical birth is left out of our hands, no, God's not going to leave that up to us. He's going to take care of it because we'd make a wreck of it. We'd make a, we'd just tear it apart. We'd brag about it. And he said that no man should boast in himself, but would boast in the glory of the Lord. So here it tells us again in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 14, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if, if they had been mindful of the country from whence they came out, they might have an opportunity to return. What do we find this great host of, of Israelites when they got out there into the wilderness? What did they say? I wish we were in Egypt. I wish we were back there with the flesh pots, the melons, and the leeks. What are they saying? I wish we were back in slavery. Because that's all that Egypt meant to them. All they had. 
through their generations for 400 years with slavery. Well, you know, natural man is just open to being a slave to anything, and religion is just out there for anybody to grasp a hold of. But salvation is a gift of Almighty God to His people. And it takes us out of that misery of self and translates us into the kingdom of His dear Son. In desiring a better country, these pilgrims wanted something heavenly. Something that tasted of God. There was a bunch of people that saw that that manna was sufficient. (laughs) There was no need for anything else. This fulfills every need that I have. I'm not looking elsewhere. I'm not going to look to some uh, theology book. I'm going to look to Christ. I'm not going to look to some religion. I'm going to look to Christ. And so they had what God had given them and they were satisfied with it. And yet we find a whole host of them that just could not stand it. They made it quite plain that it was disagreeable to them. And then with those quails, God took care of them, and they just complained. A heavenly religion, a spiritual faith, a gracious hope. The carnal mind has no taste for heavenly things. Those people demonstrated that quite well. And we find out the whole reason that they had that problem is, as Jesus spoke to Nicodemus, he didn't bring up a new doctrine. Over in the Old Testament, it's called circumcision of the heart. That's the same as the new birth. We can't do that. Only God can do that. He spoke about these things throughout the Old Testament. He came up to a man who was knowledgeable about the Bible. He was a teacher of the law and said, you must be born again. He never said one word to that man about how to be born again. He said, you must be. And unless God does it, you'll go through the rest of your life in the same condition that you're in. But if God grants to you the new birth, you will rejoice in him and the truth that is in Christ Jesus the Lord. In the book of Isaiah chapter 1, would you turn there with me? Isaiah chapter 1. In Isaiah chapter 1, Isaiah, by uh, inspiration, realized the, the trouble that we're in, the problem that we face. Isaiah chapter 1 and verse, there in verse 9, he says this, as he speaks about Israel, and Israel so often in the Old Testament is a picture and a type and a shadow of the church, and he says here, except the Lord of hosts had left unto us a very small remnant. If he hadn't been involved and he hadn't taken care, there would be nobody. In fact, he goes on to say there, we should have been as Sodom and we should have been like under Gomorrah. Now, I have never found anybody that has raised their hand that wanted to go live in Sodom and Gomorrah, especially when we know what's going to happen to that place. But here he said, this is where we should have been. We should have been destroyed. If it was up to ourselves, we would have been. But by the grace of God, and in the same book, Isaiah chapter 10, Isaiah chapter 10, and there in verse uh, 20, 21 and 22, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 20, the scriptures share this, and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel and such as are escaped to the house of Jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. 
Verse 21, the remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. This is the promise of the Lord, that he is going to bring the remnant, even though they are born in the same fashion that everyone else is, and have the same corrupted heart that everyone else has. God's going to do something for them that he's not going to do for anyone else. He is going to bring them to him and they will see him and acknowledge him and glory in him and thank him for the salvation that he's given to them. That it's not of works lest any man should boast. It is a power of God and salvation. Here it goes on in that same chapter, verse chapter 10, verse 22. For though thy people Israel be as the sand of the sea, yet a remnant of them shall return Consumption decreed shall overflow with righteousness. Even though they're like the sands of the sea, a remnant shall be saved. Paul brings this out in the book of Romans and says, don't look to to Israel as your hope. Look to Christ as your hope because not all Israel is of Israel. Look unto the one that saved them out of Israel. Look unto the one that saved Abraham. Look to the one that saved Isaac. Look to the one that saved Jacob. Look to the ones that he saved throughout all those people. Look to the one he saved out of Jacob. His name was Moses and Caleb. Look to him. Look what they bragged on. Those two that came back from from, uh, Canaan land and had a good report, they said, God is able to do everything he said he would do. And those who didn't know anything says, he can't do it. What a difference this great God makes upon his people. They brag on God. I love the term sovereignty of God. That's a big brag on God. It's a capital S and a capital G. Sovereignty of God. What's that mean? He's in charge of everything, including our salvation. He doesn't just run the world. He takes care of his people from beginning to end. Isaiah chapter 11, one more chapter there. Isaiah chapter 11. We read these words about God's great work. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, uh, excuse me, verse 11. The scriptures share this, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. They're going to be, now, religion, Commentaries will say, this is talking about them being brought back out of Babylonian captivity. Well, Babylonian captivity to the church is just another sign, another picture of where we are by nature. We might go through a reformation. We might go through a religion. We might go through all sorts of things, and yet we're still in the same position that we were by nature, imprisoned by sin, held by sin. Well, it tells us here, it come, shall come to pass in the that, that the Lord in that day shall set his hand against the second time to recover the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria and from Egypt and uh, Pathros and from Cush and from Elam and from Shinar and from Hamath and from the islands of the sea. I will get my people out of everywhere they are and I'll bring them all to Zion. We may not move from New Guinea. We may not move from Oregon. We may not move someplace to another place. But he's going to bring every one of his people to Zion and we will worship at his feet. We will love him and we will love his truth. We'll love the truth of the gospel. 
We'll have every bit of it. And when it's revealed to us, we'll grab a hold of it like a piece of manna cake and say, how delicious this is. And then tomorrow when he reveals something, oh, here's another piece of manna cake and how delicious it is. What's it taste like? Sweet oil. The Lord Jesus is sweet to the mouth of a believer. Oh, there's not one bone to pick out. There's not one sour piece. I remember my dad telling about giving my mother a pear off of a, off of a seedling pear tree. And he pretended like he ate part of it. And then he handed my mother and it was just as bitter as gall. You know, Christ is never that way. Never that way. The worst that we ever go through is when we find out that what we've been taught all our life is a lie. That's the worst. Well, Christ fulfills, takes care of, in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 107 and verse 2, we're going to find there a passage that most of the time we're going to notice that Moses and Joshua and Caleb, I believe they understood like God's people understand today. These folks are doing no better than they can do. They just can't get any higher. If you don't know Christ, you just can't get any higher. You can't worship Him. You can't love Him. You can't love His people. It's just an impossibility that we have in our life. But here in Psalm 107 and verse 2, the Scripture says, Let the redeemed of the Lord say... Now, I like to interpret this. Sometimes I look at it and say, Okay, if you're redeemed, say so. But I think it says more than not that. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I've been given this, so. I've been given that, so. I believe Moses said that so often. They can't do any different than they're doing. They can't get above the edge of the glass. They're just without God, without help, without hope in this world. They can't do any different. I remember going home and turning on the TV when I was a kid and watching a football game. Dad said, those people should be in church. Well, they're doing what comes natural. They're doing what they want to do. Worshiping God is a gift. It's a gift given by God to us to worship Him. In Deuteronomy... We heard, read there in chapter 32 of Deuteronomy, Jacob, he found him in a desert land. You know, that's what it says about Jacob. Now, he's found out there in Canaan. That's where they're headed. That's where Jacob was born. You know, it was a place that had fertility, and yet when it came to Jacob and his spiritual welfare, it says that, He found him in a desert land and in a waste howling wilderness. He led him about. Isn't that wonderful that God would take and picture for us this Jacob, who is going to be the same Jacob that is mentioned in the book of Malachi. It's chapter 1, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. 
Paul was used by the Holy Spirit to write there in the ninth chapter of the book of Romans and say, it's written in the Old Testament, it's written in the scriptures, Jacob have I loved and Esau have I hated. This Jacob, where did God find him? He found him in a waste howling wilderness. Where did he find us? In a waste howling wilderness. A wilderness of self, a wilderness of religion, a wilderness. We had nothing positive around us. And he is the one that lifted Jacob out of that place. He's the one that lifts his people out of that place, out of that that terrible, terrible pit that we're in, and puts our feet on the solid rock. In the book of, of Jeremiah, turn there with me if you would, the book of Jeremiah. How did Moses get turned? How did Jacob get turned? How did... David get turned? How did Peter and Paul get turned? How did they, what, why did they have such a drastic change, a revelation? What happened to them? Why, were they just going along one day and think, well, I think I'll be a Christian today. That's not what happened to them. I was visiting with that preacher and he said, uh, what do we do before the Lord saves us and we hear the gospel? You know what he said? We run. That's our natural inclination with the gospel is just run. Because we find out we don't have any participation in it and we can't stand it. Here in the book of Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse 14. Heal me, O Lord, and I shall be healed. Well, Physically, that's a good thing, isn't it? Lord, if you want me healed, I'll be healed. But spiritually, where's our spiritual healing come from? Heal me, O Lord, and that word Lord is Jehovah, and I shall be healed. Save me, and I shall be saved, for thou art my praise. Save me, and I shall be saved. And in that same book, chapter 31, Jeremiah chapter 31, What happens here in Jeremiah chapter 31 and there in verse 18? This this makes all the difference in the world. This is the difference that God makes with his people. He says here, I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself thus. Thou hast chastened me, and I was chastened as a bullock unaccustomed to the yoke. Turn thou me And I shall be turned, for thou art the Lord my God. The only way, oh my goodness, why can't we turn? Because we're stuck. We're just stuck. We're just stuck. Adam put us in a stuck condition and we cannot turn towards God. We cannot. Our heart is not in it. We're enmity with him. We're not wanting it. We're not looking forward to it. We don't want it. And the Lord comes along and we find out, Lord, if you'll turn me, I shall be turned. And that's the only one that turned us. He turned us from worshiping dumb idols, religion, to the living God. He turned us from hating God, enmity with God, to loving Him. We, he turned us from, this cannot be the truth. I'm going to have to skip over this passage of Scripture because I don't believe it, to believing the truth of the gospel. 
He does a whole work, an absolute work, a considerable work. And in creating the heavens and the earth, there was absolutely no resistance. Every molecule followed him completely in every creative act. When he saves us, he's fighting all the resistance that we have. But you know what? Since he's God, Jehovah God, sovereign king, his work will be effectual. And he'll take us out of the pit and put us to glory. It's his work. It's a glorious work. It's salvation. And it's only in him. There's none other name under heaven given whereby we must be saved but in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as we follow these people, they're going to go from one place to another place to another place. And finally, in two years, they're going to end up at Kadesh Barnea and Moses is going to say, send in spies. And they come back. And they all agree. It's a wonderful place. They all agree the bounty is wonderful. But you know what? There is some monsters there. And God can't overcome them. And two came back and said, Whatever he said, he will do. Salvation is of the Lord. Amen. Brother Mike.